I'm back here with Tammy and Mirza from the Hungry Hearts Foundation. Hello. Hello. So glad to have you guys back. Boy, what a big ordeal since we talked to you last with the COVID and all that's going on. Do you want to tell us how you're dealing with all of this? We'll start with you, Mirza. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you again for having us back on. A great opportunity for us to discuss what's happening right now with the world that's completely changed since the last time we've talked. Right. In the months that's passed, we've been obviously seeing what's happening in the world, particularly here in Washington. We were the first ones to officially get hit by by the disease and then uh, saw it spread here and then throughout the United States. We were at the forefront, if you want to say that, how that thing developed. So we were also one of the first people that got to respond to it. Right. And what what ended up happening is we were watching the news carefully as everybody else did, just trying to see what's going on, how fast is it spreading, you know, what what is the government doing to uh, stop the spread and then how, how should we react to this, to everything that's changing. One of the biggest drivers was when the schools decided to close because most of our distribution is happening through the schools themselves. And so what we had to then do is we had to have emergency meetings as a, as a board, as an organization to decide how, how are we going to continue providing the, the life essential. It's a, it's a very necessary food for our, our families that are on our program. And so we as a board came together, drafted changes in policies as to how we're going to run things, decided what we're going to do next, uh, making sure everybody's safe. That was our number one priority, just making sure that both our volunteers as well as our families, you know, have, have the highest safety that we can offer. And um, we also left it up to our families to decide whether they wanted to continue to receive food because everybody, of course, is, is afraid of right. how, how this thing is spreading. So we wanted to give them the opportunity to make that decision and, and we were ready for whatever they decided. So as a result, only about a, a third of our families have decided to continue receiving food. But most of the families that are on our program are at, were, were at high risk before this disease hit of hunger. And now it's it's much, much worse, obviously, based on the demographics that, of the families that are on our program, most of those people, I would presume, are essential workers, and they have been the hardest hit by this by this crisis, of course. A lot of them have probably lost their jobs as well. We might do a survey of our families just to see you know, how, how this thing has affected them, just so we can get a clearer picture, but my presumption is that they, they are the most severely hit by, by what's going on. Can the families opt back in as time Absolutely, goes on? Absolutely, yes. So we just um, we communicate with our with our families and, and tell them how the new distribution is working and and where they can come pick it up. It is up to them to do so. And if they want to come back on, they would just have to give us you know some heads up so we can uh, we can package that food and, and, and get it ready. Tammy, in response to this, like we mentioned, we had an emergency board meeting, but we also made a decision. You know, we were delivering the food every week, dropping it off in the backpacks of the students. So we went to a monthly distribution. We pack a box for a month and that way they have it at home to use it. They're just as they see fit, but it makes it easier for us because we also have to consider our workers limiting contact and being safe as well when they're trying to pack. So that's one of the adjustments. I'm a teacher at Stevens Creek Elementary in uh, the Lake Stevens School District, and we all just got a note this saying any family that we feel is in need please contact we have essential people that are allowed to contact families and to let them know confidentiality is always an issue so any teacher that has a concern about any of the students or the families then we can let them know and put them back on the list and the teachers right now are in really close contact with every one of their students and every family so we kind of 
have a bit of an idea of what's going on. Just in case this is the first time people have heard of you, let's just go into a little description of what the Hungry Hearts Foundation is. Hungry Hearts Foundation was founded 10 years ago. It's our 10-year anniversary. It was started in one school in the Lake Stevens School District by my friend Anita Caffey and I. I had a student in my class that was going hungry. I discovered uh, when we dropped off Christmas presents that they did not have enough food to get them through. And so we had started a backpack program where we could drop off kid-friendly food for kids that were in need on the weekends, and they could take it home and have enough to eat. And then it spread throughout the whole district, and now any student in the Lake Stevens School District that needs food can can get it through our program. So we have a distribution center where we store the food and pack it on a weekly basis. Last time you guys were on, Mirza was so kind to say, hey, if you're listening and you want one of these programs at your school, contact me. Mm -hmm. So when the COVID hit, I went ahead and reposted the podcast and an invitation for people to contact you. Even now, people might realize the necessity even more because I'm seeing people kind of going rogue, creating programs. I am a huge proponent of don't reinvent the wheel. So rather than start a program, see if your school has one. And then if not, call Mirza and find out how to do this because it's so beneficial and you don't want you don't want 10 different programs one program is really good absolutely yes and it it really helps to have somebody that's that's gone through this and can really help you quickly get set up so I'm, i'm more than happy to help anybody that's willing to take that on in their community another question that i've been wondering about is i know that the schools are doing their lunch programs. So how is what you're doing different? What's different is the schools are doing daily lunch. And so the families can drive by and pick it up. But we also have people that cannot, who cannot come. The food is taken to their house. So we include ourselves in that and that we have our boxes available. We have a window of time that they can come. But if someone is in need of having food dropped off, we can do that as well. And it's through a person through the district that is cleared to be able to do that. So we, we're basically we're basically supplementing whatever the school is already providing because oftentimes it's not sufficient. We've we've done a survey in the past of the families that we support on how quickly they go through the food that we give them. And typically when the times were normal, we would pack weekly, give it to them weekly, and they would usually get it on Thursday or Friday. And they would tell us that most of the time they're done going through our food by Saturday. Only very few actually make it last through the weekend. So we're basically trying to provide that uh, gap fill where they have uh, food while they're in school, but then on the weekends when they don't have as much, we can provide that additional pack. I know when the schools first closed, one of the big concerns was, first of all, the kids whose parents are first responders or on the front. And what are they going to do? How are they going to eat? And then also when the school lunches picked up and started doing this, they're going to end, right? When school ends? Uh, We have, the school has lunches available at one of the designated elementary schools. Families can go there and get lunch. Oh, through the whole summer. So it's not like. Through the whole summer. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And so yours will continue to supplement then, which is awesome. As families need it. Everything is so different. Tammy, you're a teacher. You've had to totally (laughs) learn how to do all this teaching in a remote format what's that been like oh well it it's been a roller coaster i mean i feel like a brand new teacher all (laughs) over again Uh, everything i know about teaching you just have to switch and now you're 
dealing with kids in a disconnected, connected way through Zoom, through email, different platforms, and trying to deliver your lessons in a way that's meaningful. What you think is going to take a lesson that might just take a few minutes of preparation at school takes hours at home. And so it's a complete new learning curve. But the most important thing we say over and over and over is that that connection with families is number one, that the social, emotional welfare of our students is the most important thing. Yes, all the learning and lessons are important, but connecting with them, making sure they're okay, helping the kids to feel safe and that they're part of a still part of the classroom and still part of you, that culture and that climate, that is that is the most important thing. So it has been a trial error. It's not easy. I'm working and I know all my colleagues that I talked to were working more hours than we did in the classroom, if you can believe it. But it's worth it because these kids that are at home feeling disconnected now have that connection to their their classmates and their teacher. I think that for them to know that you're showing up every day when their world, it seems uncertain, just as a teacher knowing that you've got some students that might be fearful. I've been doing smaller groups. Um, so a lot of teachers, I know all of our kindergarten teachers do one-on-one. So you get a chance to talk to them in a little more intimate environment. It can be a little intimidating in a whole class Zoom meeting. And then also, like, I feel like I'm the go-to, like getting that, all these parents, making sure they have a Chromebook, making sure they're connected. And through those conversations, you get a good pulse. I had a family, a mom just emailed me in desperation. She's got four kids at home. She's very sick. She's like, how do I do this? How do I keep up? And she just needed a friendly voice and someone to say, hey, don't worry. What can I do to help? I'm here for you. And it just calmed her down. She was just like, okay, I'm sorry. No, I was upset. I said, well, we can work together. What? Let's figure this out. So that's the biggest thing is just to be there, to be a good listener. Putting academics is important, but putting their emotional welfare first. Well, and also I know that on Facebook, what I've seen is parents that are still working. They're mm-hmm. overwhelmed with how am I supposed to help the kids with school and still work? So it seems like you have a lot of different elements, plus some students, right, are going back and forth between two different homes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I'm, I'm affected by that as well. So I can tell you firsthand what that's like. So I'm, I'm a single dad to two toddlers, and I have a full-time job that I'm, luckily, I'm one of the few lucky ones that is able to work from home full-time. But um, at the same time, because the daycares had closed, I had to keep the kids at home. And so I have to both do a full-time job and basically watch the kids all day. And then when they get get into bed at night, then you, you have to kind of catch up to the, to the work that you might have missed during the day. And so it's, I, I, I don't know how to say this other than I only thought there was 24 hours in a day, but it seems like since this whole thing started, you can do more than 24 hours in a day. <laughs> of work. It, is, it is very stressful. I think everybody's feeling it. Your work never ends. You have to be perfect with your schedule in order to accomplish everything that's kind of put on your plate. I understand all parents, especially the single parents, having to juggle so many things at once. I have my parents that live nearby, but I've kept them away for the last two months since this whole thing began because they are in that critical age group that's super susceptible to this. That has taken a toll, of course, because everything's you know, back on, on me. Doing that for two months straight is <laughs> takes its toll. But at the same time, because there's so much going on, you really don't have time to stop and think about it. You just tackle every day as a brand new day. Just do what you have to do and, and keep going. And then hopefully there'll be light at the end of this tunnel soon. I consider myself one of the lucky ones. I don't want to complain because again, um, I at least have a job. There's a lot of people that are really hurting right now, not just because of what's happening 
similar to me, but also because they've lost a job now, so they have that additional stress of not having a really uncertain future and, and their lives at risk because there's no income. Which, Mirza, that brings so, up such a good point because I've heard people say, well, I'm lucky because I'm working, I don't want to complain, but yet it's so different for all of us that I think we have to have a place to s- scream. You could be successful, you could be like, I'm lucky, I get to come to work. I also don't get to see anybody ever, even at work, and that gets lonely. And so I think all of us, no matter how good our situation is, still have a right to complain. Absolutely, yeah. Somebody once told me that everybody's pain and everybody's suffering is real Mm -hmm. for that person because uh, when it comes to that, we shouldn't compare to each other because everybody's life is is completely different Mm -hmm. from the other person. And so whatever struggles you might go through, don't, don't compare yourself to, to somebody else. I mean, to some extent, you should just to make yourself feel better if you are in a better position. But at the same time, we, we are all in our individual paths and we just have to deal with what we have in front of us. That is for a lot of people. That's more than enough to deal with. Right. Well said, Mirza. That was beautiful. So one thing that I have seen is people stepping up, doing more. So with your Hungry Hearts Foundation, are people stepping up and helping? I mean, I know you can't have too many people, right, because of the whole social distancing. Well, we've seen It's kind of interesting. We have seen an increased demand in people wanting to help, but at the same time, we as an organization have decided that we actually have to limit even the the amount of volunteers we already have just because of safety reasons. It is fortunate and unfortunate. Fortunate in the sense that there's a lot of good people out there wanting to do more, but unfortunate in in this instance because we have to limit uh, and and space out the the people that we have. Exactly, and I think our fundraising during this time is halted because of the of the virus and so uh, we still have the same needs going in the, the need to be able to supply and purchase all the foods that we need so we're always still in need of of donations so that we can make sure we get the families the food that they need I have discovered about um, volunteering is most people in the situations I've been in they feel like they have to do in order to be mm-hmm. relevant. But what I really want want people to hear is being is okay. So being, which means you can't be there. So donate money. Are you taking food mm-hmm. donations or is that dangerous right now? We want to actually limit it to just monetary donations at this time. Okay. Um, once, once things clear up, then we will probably go back to that if it's safe enough to do so. But um, at this time, if you want to help, monetary donations is, is our best bet. As you might have, you know, people who are following the news might have seen really long lines at food banks all across the nation. So the the best way to help right now is to provide that monetary support so we could buy more food and and provide it to more people. We just had, of course, Give Big uh, last week or a couple weeks ago. What has been really significant that I'm hearing from nonprofits is a little bit goes a long way. So if 100 people give one or 10 bucks, Mm -hmm. that is Mm -hmm. going to be a significant impact because often we feel like, well, this is just so small, but that a lot of people doing a small amount makes a big difference. Oh, how much does it cost to feed a family for a weekend? Around seven or eight Mm -hmm. bucks per packet per weekend. So if people think about if you donate 
$8, you could feed a family or some, a child for a weekend. We pride ourselves in, in no matter how high our growth has been so far over the years, and we've, we've come very close to almost 300 kids on our program uh, this year if, if, if it had gone as, as planned. Despite all that, we're still able to to provide some all the all the fundraising that goes and all the money that comes in. It almost exclusively goes to food. We only have to pay overhead for uh, the storage at this time, but nobody's drawing a salary. Nobody's profiting from this. The only non-food expense that we have right now is literally just uh, the storage of the food that we have to provide, and that's why we can make the money stretch out to the to the maximum extent possible. I just want to say thank you to our continuous supporters. We really need you in this time of need to help with uh, funding and, and keep that going. We're still not sure how this is all going to play out, but staying well-funded is our number one goal to make sure that our families continue to receive the help that they that they need. So thank you for, for all of those that are continuing to support us, number one. Number two, uh, for anybody else out there that's listening that that is in a difficult situation right now, and there's a lot of people out there, please, please make sure you have somebody to talk to, that you can reach out for help. We're all in this together. We're all one big family. That's kind of the, the whole point of, of us uh, as an organization and the people that, that I get to work with with this organization. We're all of the opinion that we're all in this together. We can help each other out. We need to do that to get through this and be better people on the other side and hopefully build a better world as a result. We have such an amazing group of volunteers. They go above and beyond. And like Marissa said, we are completely nonprofit to just do it out of the goodness of their hearts. And so just a shout out and a thank you to them. And, and then just as you'd mentioned before about if someone knows that they our school is district is in need of a program like this to reach out to us because we've done this before and we're happy to help you get started. And anything you can do to help is so appreciated. What is so amazing to me is that it is all about the kids. And so much of what we've been seeing with this virus is the frontline workers, which are amazing. But also you think about for us, we have never seen anything like this. Well, for kids, they haven't. But to them, they don't have any reference to go by. And so the fact that you are all working to keep a routine, to help them feel needed, stable, you're, like you said, the family's education is way important, but the family connection is more important. Kudos to you for really recognizing and focusing on the needs of the children, because you know, all the news, everything is about adults, <laughs> it seems like, right? Exactly. Yeah, you're right. They're, the kids don't have any power over their lives. They're dependent on, on adults to make sure that they well, have the what kids, they need. Mirza? The kids are the future, and, and the focus should be on the future. One thing I have encouraged my grandchildren to do is to journal, and they're like, oh, Grandma, but it's like, no, in 20, 30 years, you're going to want to look back (laughs) and see how you got through this, because it's such a unknown right for all of us right Tammy in the beginning I remember it was such a big deal because you can't just do school online everybody has to have equal access can you just say a little more about that with the internet and everything school districts have gone out of their way um, to provide a Chromebook to anyone in need and hotspots to those in need but there's no possible way for it to be equitable I mean just it just depends on like you said family circumstances and if they're working and so, yeah, it, equity is is one thing that is compromised during this time, and there's nothing we can do about it. But when they come back to us, 
in the classroom. We'll do everything we can to make up for those differences. Yeah. And I saw that there will be no failing this year. Is that right? Yeah. Every grade level is different, but in uh, elementary, yeah, you just get a mark that you attended and some comments about your your work and that's at least that's how we're doing it in our school district. So Tammy and Mirza with the Hungry Hearts Foundation. Just one more thing if I could quickly um, so on that front when it comes to education and remote learning one of the things that has come to light in this situation is that uh, some of the families that we support a lot of the families that we support don't really have uh, a setup that can facilitate remote learning because uh, because of the level of poverty that they're at it might only have one, one smartphone for the whole family, and then the kids might have to type up their, their homework on, on a cell phone uh, in order to submit it because the libraries are closed, the coffee shops are closed, there's no Wi-Fi hotspots available to those kids to go even if they had a device. But then a lot of them don't even have a device, so the schools have struggled, the school districts have struggled because they didn't budget for so many purchases for these devices to cover this. Such a good so point. We, we, do, we do see a huge, huge gap for the families that we support because the longer this continues, the more left behind they will be. And and that will be a, a real tragedy for these kids. That's so good. I think we take that for granted. And even when we thought about schooling from home, it's easy to just assume, of course, everyone has internet. Well, that's not necessarily true. And food, of course, they're all going to have lunch. Well, that's not necessarily true. So I love what you guys are doing and how committed you are to making sure that kids are fed and they don't go without. Last time, Mirza and Tammy were with us. This is what Mirza had to say about passion. So then you have to figure out what is that, what is that thing that I'm passionate about? Because when, you, when it comes to success, uh, passion is the absolute key uh, to start with. Once you have that passion and you know what it is you want to go after, you then have to take action. Passion and action will produce magical results. Yeah, now, it won't, it won't happen overnight. <laughs> it, it will not happen overnight. But mm-hmm. if you stick to it, and this is where passion comes into play, because with passion, you will keep doing it, even when it's, when it's the hardest. You will keep doing it because you feel it's, it, makes, it makes you feel good. It, it's the right thing to do. You'll keep at it, no matter how hard it gets. And passion will get you through those hard times. Actions will keep building what, you've, what you're building. And perseverance will ultimately lead to the success that you want to see. To reach Mirza, go to HungryHeartsFoundation.com, where you can donate or contact them to learn more. Hungry Hearts Foundation really wants to help other communities install the same program they have. So if you are interested, listen to what Mirza has to say. We are filling the need for the kids that we have mm-hmm. on our program right now. We also do recognize that in the broader community, there's a much bigger need that we can address as mm-hmm. a single entity. And so um, what, what's happened in the past is people have come to us asking for help because they see the success that we're having and they would like to replicate it in their own communities. And we're, all, we're very much supportive of that. In fact, if anybody's listening out here uh, who, uh, who wants to do something like what we're doing, please contact us. I'd be more than happy to actually work with them uh, tell them what, what we did right, what we did wrong, um, all the lessons learned so that they don't have to struggle through what we did, um, and just give them the success that, that we have established. Um, just make it a, like a, a cookie-cutter th- yeah. thing, hopefully, and then it can spread like wildfire. Wouldn't that be great if every school district Absolutely. had this? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's, that's our ultimate goal. We, our, our current group of people is, is too small to make that happen, mm-hmm. but if we, if we can encourage other community leaders in their own communities to come and reach out to us, contact us, please do contact us. We are more than happy to share our ideas and our successes 
and let's let's make this yeah, happen. Let's do let's, it let's together. Let's do 2020. Let's do 2020 right. True. So I love what you guys are doing and how committed you are to making sure that kids are fed and they don't go without. Thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you again for having us on. Really appreciate it. The Hungry Hearts Foundation is a nonprofit organization founded in Lake Stevens, Washington in 2015. It's designed to help feed hungry school-aged children who are currently on the National School Lunch Program by providing them with supplemental food for the weekends and school holidays. Many students are getting... Many students are getting enough to eat at school during the week through the National School Lunch Program. However, when they are home on weekends, there often isn't enough food. Supplement kid-friendly food items are packaged in nondescript bags that are distributed to students at school on Fridays. All of the students who receive the food through the Hungry Hearts Foundation remain completely anonymous. The Hungry Hearts Foundation works with regular school districts to identify children in need of services. It is run by volunteers found through the PTA and PTSA and the community. The Hungry Hearts Foundation relies on donations of food and money from local businesses, churches, and the greater community. As you heard, they are willing to help other communities build a program. All you have to do is go to HungryHeartsFoundation.com and let them know you are interested. If you'd love to donate to this program, same thing, go to HungryHeartsFoundation.com. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new and hope you're willing to reach out and try and build something in your community. Join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our communities.